Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Dan Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined by Mac Anderson Cooper, Tiffany Renee Johnson, Kenya Ann Hall, and Greg Jafois of the Poetic Forum Collective. Yeah. Woo. Hello. Hey. So we have a thing where I found this where like it's always the first minute of the podcast where we just make Maureen and I just make mistakes and have to like re-record and re-record and re-record. Mm-hmm. And I love it actually because it just kind of like gets the the yeah the like the nerves out yeah. the heebie-jeebies out yeah. I don't know why I'm like I always do this where like I'm like oh I fucked up this thing so I'm gonna point it and. and Anyway, we're here to talk. About, <laughs> yeah, um, we're here to talk today about your your upcoming production of Saint Joan, um, by George Bernard Shaw, and I would love to hear um, about how you're kind of retooling it. Yeah, so we are doing an all femme cast, um, and the way that we're doing this show is that we're putting it up against a corporate kind of backdrop um, in like a network sort of like Fox or like ABC uh, to look at how women interact with women in the workforce, especially women of color and the different challenges and obstacles that they have to navigate as they pursue a career. And part of why we're doing it with the network concept is being able to show several different kinds of jobs and Mm -hmm. how they interact with each other and how each one of those has its own like challenges and how women of privilege can help others and how they do and do not do that and that's what we're using for the show awesome i um i always this always happens to me when we have interesting guests on where i have like five different question paths that but before we go down question paths, yeah. I'd love to hear what role everyone plays oh, in good. this production. Yeah. So, Mac, for instance, yeah. how are you involved in this production? I'm the director of this production. Awesome. I'm Tiffany. Um, I am Joan of Arc. Cool. Uh, I, Kenya, am the dramaturg. Nice. Cool. And I'm Greg, and I am one of the producers. Nice. Awesome. Cool. Cool. Uh, I I think it's super interesting. Um, One of the things we're always playing with is like how to best make. So we come from opera singing, and so it's super interesting to me when you we start getting into like talking with folks from other genres and kind of figuring out where these where patterns are in art and and patterns are in relativity. And I think one of the things that was really interesting when before we started recording that we were talking about was. cultural impact and a specifically cultural impact uh, of a work compared to like using it from a lens of today's lens to a lens like using it through the lens of the time and I think that one of the things that you were talking about um, about this like rings true to that um, for me which is the um, like thinking about like the corporate network uh, choice and, and things like that so I'm, I'm curious um, when you have something like especially and it also what doubles down and underpins that is the idea that George Bernard Shaw is like this it's something we talk about on the show but like you have certain names in art that are just like we've put them on these like and I picture them as like white ivory pedestals of this is one of the greatest artists of all time and it's a classic and yada yada and so um, I'm curious uh, for you what you think that this vehicle the um, Joan of Arc vehicle uh you know, and what you've, what you're trying to accomplish, like, conceptually, um, how this vehicle can uh, 
is best and is worst uh, accomplishing of that? Yes, I know what you're saying. Yeah, the um, grammar, the grammar is <laughs> yeah, 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 no, 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 it's as fine. the questions so, coming together. Yeah, right. Yeah, so part, so for me, um, as speaking as a woman, something that uh, you go through every day um, with everything you see on the street, like commercials, um, advertisements, billboards, are all so so much of that is created through the male gaze. Um, and on top of that, so much of it is it, so much of it is created through the white male gaze. Um, and women in media, I felt like that was a very strong platform to put this show on because a lot of how women are perceived and women of like white women and women of color are perceived depends a lot on like the that white male gaze and what is put out there. Um, like what is beautiful, what is acceptable, what makes sense. Um, all of that is coming from that gaze. And so I wanted to showcase and kind of highlight the fact that so often in media, in news, in the way that stories are told or framed, the way that narratives are kind of controlled, so rarely are there voices, um, especially uh, voices of women of color who have any say in how that kind of gets conveyed um, in the way that you see certain like commercials or ad campaigns that come out, uh, for example, the Pepsi uh, commercial with um, uh, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and she was like, Pepsi is also Black Lives Matter, and it was like, oh god, how did no one stop that from happening? At every step, right? At every right. step, at literally every people. step. It just it, to me, it was just how indicative, so indicative of how white that corporation must be, right? And so that was why, and exactly, which is why this made so much sense for me because in this, like, so if you think about it, like in this building, right, where like NBC is or Fox, you know, there are people who are anchors, there are people who are like writing commercials, there are people who oh. work in the mailroom, like downstairs. There's like the CEO of the company. There's a board of trustees who like comes in, like they have a say about things, and so when you guys, when you watch Saint Joan, the way that we have done it, every person in the play has like a parallel um in this corporate network world network corporation flip-flop um and that as you as you watch the show we have the classical text obviously but as you watch the show you start to realize that everything that we're watching makes sense in this corporate network as well in the way that we watch women interact with each other in the workplace um and navigate around kind of like cultural norms and social expectations um and that's why i think that the media like the network platform of it really functions well um with the show there's also the um the casting of it as often it changes the way certain lines are heard certain lines are said um because you have like you know like in the original it's a young woman fighting against all these men trying Mm -hmm. to be like listen to me also i'm just like a man so that should make you listen to me more right um but when that playing field is leveled and like everybody's a woman that's not something that is impacting Mm -hmm. joan's voice um but she is still struggling to get her message across to all these women um, which is something that we're seeing more and more uh, now that more women are in more powerful positions. Like, things are still un- not changing as much mm-hmm. as people would think. Like, when 
you have a woman running things, there's still ways that women can be like um, oppressive and like somewhat misogynistic. And a lot of people don't like to think about that, but yeah. it subtly hints at that at some points in the show. What one thing that I really you, you spoke about how, because of the way that the show is cast. It's really interesting for me as an actor hearing certain lines way differently than I would if it were cast the traditional way, you know, like in in times where I'm interacting with another black woman in the cast, like some lines sound different um, to me and kind of come off the page in a different way. It's kind of exciting and interesting. Um, and I was going to say something. What's the last thing you said? I was going to say something else about that that I can't remember. So I'll just say it later uh, <laughs> if it comes back to me. Um, but women can also be Oh, in. yes. I was thinking about how patriarchy and misogyny are, um, you know, kind of past. Or pe- people take that on. So women will, will, can take that on, you know, mm. and kind of perpetuate those same things. Just like, uh, just like uh, white supremacy can be, you know, taken on by people of color. You know, you don't realize sometimes that it's so ingrained in your psyche that you kind of, like, perpetuate the same things um, that that other people are perpetuating. Yeah. Um, yeah. kind of just seeps on in there. Uh, yeah. And I love it because it's an examination of of the the systems themselves the the constructs because mm-hmm. it's like yes we look at how the individuals within that construct are affected um but it's what much I, greater than the individual yeah always. but, but yeah. what becomes internalized while try while one tries to survive in a system or is told this is exactly how you must be or behave whilst you're in the system because i think about um what kenya was talking about this idea of feminism not being as intersectional it's just like yes we want uh, we want uh, individuals, uh, we want specific individuals in positions of power, but once they are there, what do they, uh, uh, who else are they inviting into the room and uh, into the room to have the conversation? And more importantly, it doesn't only help just to have those individuals as part of the conversation, but also leading right. those conversations. Right. Um, because one cannot assume, uh, just because I'm a, I'm a man, uh, I'm, I'm a black male, uh, doesn't mean me bringing in a black woman into a room um, is enough. Mm-hmm. Like it's like yes, I can bring a, a black woman into this room, but am I am I allowing her agency? Am I literally relinquishing my space so she has space to speak? Because if I'm not doing that, then essentially what I'm seeking is not. Uh, I'm not seeking equality. I'm seeking a privilege. I'm seeking to be in a position where I I still have I still maintain power and I'm still the voice leading the conversation but that doesn't help specifically when it comes to what can be the direct impact of uh, of those interactions and how destructive those um, uh, those power structures can be yeah it also oh um, it also just um, how that person got into that room um, affects how what they're willing to say um, like um, when seeing Joan interact with some of the older women in the cast it's like that person has had to go through a very different journey than Joan has where she's like I can you know if I say this it should make sense because like I'm making sense right now we all know that this is the right thing to do but um someone who has not been able to say that but has had to like sneak that into the conversation in more subtle ways is going to have a very different perspective um perspective about how you approach a certain situation Mm -hmm. so I actually I have a question for Greg um so you're talking about like you know as you know, as a black male, 
you know, bringing a woman, bringing a black woman into a room, like, is the first step, but isn't the end-all, be-all. I'm wondering how, in a position of leadership within a production of all women, how have you been navigating kind of your privilege yes. like how like how, like in a in a production in a production where you are you know working to amplify the female voice how are you as a male in a in a in a role of power working with that um well the first step for me and i cannot take credit for this i must think uh damon young because uh, he wrote an article for a very smart brother that kind of illuminated a lot of things for me um uh I, I just recommend the article. Um, but one, I must realize what my privilege is because the only, the, well, the primary instance in which me as a black male, uh, I am disenfranchised is when it comes up against whiteness or the construct of whiteness um, and white supremacy in our society. But I still have the privilege of being a man. I still have the privilege of being heard. Um, and on top of that, I'm also an educated black male. So also the fact that like I have the access, uh, the access and the, my ability to enter rooms simply by being, you know, articulate and kind and being able to speak so well. Yeah, you know, you know, microaggressions. They're so lovely. Well, yes. <laughs> well, that actually um, trans uh, uh, transitions into my next question really well, which is the thing that is also partly bringing you back. Piggybacking on something that you said, which is that um, the idea of bigotry, the idea of sexism, the idea, the idea of white supremacy, is not just the extremes of that idea. Like it's like white supremacy is not just the KKK. It is microaggressions. It is these things that you, in the court of public opinion, maybe like that are maybe less offenses but are still offenses if that makes sense and I think the interesting thing for me um, about so a project like this where you're taking something that is written for white male voices by a white male voice except for obviously Joan of Arc um, and, and getting to have those moments where you're um, reading these uh, lines and, and kind of like working in the subtext of those lines I'm curious if in that you're finding and understanding and unpacking some of these, and I, I don't like the way that I'm wording this like minor, but like still, like things that are still parts of white supremacy, that are still part of the patriarchy, but that aren't necessarily like, you know, blatant murder or something. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. May, uh, may I just... I'm, I'm, I'm going to, please, I'm going to pass it on to you. I, I'm actually going to use this to kind of finish up the, the thought that I had really quickly is, um, well, that is, for me, like, that is how I don't, for me as the producer, that is how I, I make sure that that is not entering the room. Mm. And uh, Mac can attest to this, and she looks at me weird whenever I say this, but, like, I have purposely not been at rehearsals. Because as somebody, and, and it's not because I haven't been invited or anything like that, but the very first day I walked into rehearsal, Everybody was just really, really happy. The room full of women were just very happy to see each other and work with each other, but not in a way of like, oh, it's our first rehearsal, we're really excited about this project. It was that plus the uh, the amplification of like, we're going to be working, like when is the last time or if ever we've ever been in a room where we are literally the ones who are going to tell 
our story. It's nobody else's input filter placed on top of that. So this to kind of uh, end like where my role kind of fits in this, and then I'll pass it on as, as to those who are in the rehearsal room as to how they are helping to deconstruct um, and break down those uh, those oppressive systems that tend to enter rehearsal spaces and thusly like kill uh, kill the art itself. Um, I just make sure that I'm not the one leading conversations, whether like I'm physically, like not being physically there. Um, and at the same time, just listening, just completely and utterly listening and putting like ego and everything aside. It's like the first question I always ask is, what can I give to this project? Mm -hmm. Not what, what does this give me? It's like, what can I give to um, this project? So I will pass it on to those who are in the room on the, the question asked. You, you asked um, if there are things present in the text that speak to how uh, white supremacy or other forms of oppression exist without being so overt, like, you know, murder or, you know, blatant things. And there's one line in particular that always, always, always stands out for me. Um, is when Joan tells a character named Kalshan how she was warned not to trust her charity. Um, and I think about that uh, when, I, when, I, when I read that line or when I'm just looking at the script to think about how it happens that way sometimes where someone um, is uh, so proud of themselves for reaching out and helping someone who has less privilege than they do but in an instant it can ch it can change you know and uh, and you know they can cast that person out you know or, and sometimes like I don't know. I, I don't. I don't want to be all over the place, but like, um, I'll go here. Go it for is. It, it yeah. is the. Uh, it is a less overt uh, parts of oppression. I believe that are the most dangerous. The ones that you can't mm. see. Those are the things that you can deny. Mm. You can deny mm. that you gave someone a job or fired someone simply because they are, you know, black or a person of color. Um, uh, you know, Latino or you know, Asian American. You you can you can deny those things. You can say, well, you know, you kind of been slacking on your work. Meanwhile, the person can be the best, but it's it's all about perception and and who gets to make the choice. Those are the things because that's what like that's you know people's livelihood. You know how people live. You know. And if, if someone doesn't have a job, then that affects where they, you know, where they can live and breathe and be. Um, and if they don't have money, then that leads to another, a whole list of problems. And, you know, I could talk for hours and hours and hours about, uh, you know, areas where the income is lower and, you know, violence is high and people always talk about how violent it is and how do we fix it? How do we remove the guns and, you know, you know, and, you know the gangsters and the thugs and and how dangerous they are but nobody talks about all the things that happen before that mm -hmm. uh, all the things that lead to that and how if you put any group of people in a certain environment uh, they will react to survive because it's human nature so it's not about uh, you know certain kinds of people being more dangerous or more prone to be a certain way it is all about environment you know it's all about experience exposure um resources and some people just have more resources than others 
so I'm going. I, I feel myself digressing quite a bit, but um. <laughs> well, no, yeah. that's super <laughs> interesting. Oh, sorry. I didn't. Oh, it's. I was just gonna say that. Um, I think uh, where the kind of white male voice comes out clearest is in. Um, George Bernard Shaw's stage direction. Yes. Oh, oh my god. Real gross. I haven't read those in so long. I forget. Oh. So many that's like, um, Joan sits down like an obedient little schoolgirl. Oh, yeah, like, <laughs> oh damn. <laughs> well, it was like our friend was reading it for the first time and he was talking about how Stephen King and he's queer, so like he was like, I'm not interested in but like how like the whole time he could just like Stephen King couldn't not talk about breasts. And it's like like she boobed around tittily and like, <laughs> not actually, but like but like but actually. actually. <laughs> <laughs> and you can yeah. see like you watch certain I was watching an old music video at someone's like house for a gathering they had and I was looking at all the camera angles about five times the camera panned up from someone's ass like mm. up their body I'm just like why do you have to keep like we know we know she right. got a booty it's there great <laughs> but like you see that a lot you know well, and you don't you see it outside of like music videos too you see it in like legal dramas where like a woman will have just made an amazing point that like sh- that like breaks the case wide open mm. shout and out then, the West Wing or not even the West Wing. I'm talking about you know whatever, but just like, and then the woman will leave the room and it'll just be like a slow pan of yeah. her entire body. Like, always. what does that have to do with anything? Or how in every action movie there's always like the one five second shot of like a naked back or like a girl coming out the water. Everyone's <laughs> wet. They're always wet and they're always wearing. And white. the woman always has to be still like in every action movie. She's still got to be hot, sexy action here. She can't be like. She can't be like Joan of Arc and, like, you know... Panting and, like, ragged. Yeah. <laughs> and not that she has to, like... I, I don't think it's a problem with her being womanly, but how do we define that and why do we always define it one way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually have a question about um, your portrayal of Joan. Mm-hmm. So, um, Joan of Arc is one of these iconic female characters. Mm-hmm. And I know that, like, in the past when in opera I've played, like, Cleopatra or you know like there are always these like iconic women that in your mind you're like ugh, like l- just in my where I go immediately is like ugh, like look at them look at all they've done like look at what they've done for womankind how do you look at a persona so large and make it human well I think I think her 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 message and the journey that she took was very human. It, it looks large and grandiose, but like it is, um, it is a very human thing that that you know she sought out to do. Um, and um, I mean, and you think about war and all those things like that. That is, but I think, and I, I think you can't think about the largeness of it. You think about the steps she took. The the voices that she heard to lead her to to you know take all these steps and um uh and the people that she had to meet along the way and get you know get green lights from to to proceed and you know the the quiet moments that she had the preparation and all that and and, and for me um i guess the, the modern context that we well that the mac has placed it in um helps a lot um and the war that my Joan is fighting is is different. Um, 
But I think of it, I, I think we, we, Tiffany and Joan fight similar battles, you know what I mean? Like, though my, my path is different, it has always felt like a responsibility to me to, to fight for uh, equality and to fight for what I believe is right and, and to and to give voice to people who are not voiceless. For me, that is often on the stage or in front of a camera. Um, for Joan, uh, you know, in this in this context, you know, it is in the realm of a, of a, a corporation, and you know, fighting for what she believes in and stories that she believes should be told, and the the and fighting for the people that she knows should have opportunity, and, and emboldening people that she believes should should be in leadership position or positions of leadership um so it doesn't answer the question yeah you yeah you like (laughs) you see you see your struggle in her struggle and so it's because you've experienced trials and you've experienced you know having to work your way up yeah yeah, it, I guess it's how I relate to it, and yeah. I, because I am a black woman, um, it's coming through that lens, of thinking about all the things that people who look like me have had to fight through, all the wars that we've had to fight, you know, ones with actual, you know, weapons, and and ones with our minds and our and our lips, you know, the words that we speak. Uh, so I carry all of that with me uh and uh i carry all the the voices of the people who who came before me you know what i mean Mm -hmm. uh that is how i approach it cool um so the way that the play is written is that and correct me if i'm wrong um i did like very quick research before y'all came um the first part of the play is her trial the second part of the play is after the trial like years later there's so there's the first act which is her journey so when she starts off when she goes to um her father's lord um lady and Mm -hmm. is like i'm gonna do this and you have to help me because i say so um so it starts there and we go all the way to um, just before Joan is captured, um, and then there's an act break, and then the next act is her trial, and then following that, there is an epilogue that is years later. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the structure of the play. I think someone's doing construction upstairs or something. Oh, are you hearing it on the microphone? Yeah, I'm just, the... you know. Oh. It's, it's not, like, ridiculously aggressive or anything like that. Oh, you just wanted but to acknowledge like it? A, Cool. We're doing deconstruction down here. Were it not for the fact that uh, we just replaced these microphones, I would drop one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm interested um, how you're taking um, how you're taking a 16th, 15th century Mm -hmm. story and um, like kind of applying. You mentioned that it's pretty seamless, that there are parallels for, I don't know, maybe I'm exaggerating, but you mentioned that it was fairly easy to, like, take characters and fit them into a role within a media corporation. I'm wondering, um, like, for instance, 
What is Joan's role within this corporation? Joan is a PA, a production assistant, moves up to being a writer. And, you know, the journey that that comes with that and the the resistance that, uh, you know, she meets or that meets her. The the resistance she experiences, um, you know, as somebody that people don't necessarily want to be in that position. Yeah. And I can speak a little more to that as well um, in the way that some of the other characters that Joan interacts with um, Tiffany mentioned Cachon earlier who for me uh, it, in the in the original text Cachon is um, a bishop who is a very high and mighty religious person who is trying to get rid of Joan's voice because it threatens the structure of the church and everything that has always been done within the church um, and I see Cauchon as kind of like the founder and president of this corporation, um, the kind of person who is in charge of everything, and a person like Joan could like shake everything apart. Um, and there's that threat, and so like that person exists. Um, and then there's also, you know, there are like the board of trustees who are kind of like the nobles and some of the lower church people in the play who. Are invested in not letting their corporation that they have like invested time and money into um and to get them like involved in maybe political pursuits or like telling stories about people whose voices are not often heard um and there's that kind of uh um the uh what is the word they're like in the boardroom like plotting they're plotting um about how to not let joan kind of come up um, and there are also, you know, people who are lower down in the ranks. We have some people who, um, when Joan first meets, they're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go with you. Um, and I think some of those are like other writers who are maybe a little bit higher up or they are, um, people who even just work like in the mailroom of a corporation. Um, and so that's kind of how the connections fall into place. Mm-hmm. Cool. No, the, I was just going to ask about... It's always interesting to me, um, especially with... Uh, when you have multi-level kind of administrative forces, um, how did you all start working together and how did you all meet and all that kind of stuff? And how did that turn into this production? Well, um... you start with us? Yeah, we'll yeah. start with uh, okay. Mac and I. Um, Mac and I... <laughs> Matt, uh, working, uh, Mac was the assistant director for uh, a workshop play that was going up at the Goodman, uh, was our new stages play that went up at the Goodman called Carlisle. Mm-hmm. Um, and we Shout met, out to Thomas Bradshaw. Thomas Bradshaw. Um, and so, yeah, we met uh, during that process, and during that process, uh, the Poetic Forum Collective was uh, doing uh, shows at Stage 773. We had a new show every third Sunday of the month um, when we were housed there. And I did a reading, well, we did a, a stage reading of Christiana Ray Colon's But I Could Only Whisper, um, which was uh, a, res- uh, a response play essentially examining the characters from, um, uh, uh, for, uh, for Black Girls Who Consider Suicide When the Rainbow's Not Enough, uh, When the Rainbow Intozaki. is... Intozaki. Intozaki. Shange. Thank you. Yes. I was like, like I do not want to mess up her name. Um, <laughs> but um, we, uh, we did a stage reading of it. Um, and Matt came to watch this and was 
well, was really excited about collaborating together. We couldn't find, we didn't have a project for a long time. Yeah. And Mac decided she was going to be a world traveler for a little bit. Although we were friends, too. We were friends. Yeah. yeah we were <laughs> Mac and I were also friends. And this is why I was bitter about the fact that she was becoming a world traveler. Uh, and I was I had stuff. to go see St. Joan in London without anything fun going yes. on or um, interesting. Sorry. <laughs> um, but yes, um, but um, Poetic Form Collective ended its tenure at Stage 773 uh, in December. Um, just some scheduling and everything. Mm -hmm. Trying to put on a brand new show every third Sunday of the month becomes challenging yeah. after three years. Um, and so we decided that we were... <laughs> um, um, I, I, I have been looking for a project to do because uh, I, I didn't want this entity that I've created for three years to kind of completely dissipate. And Mac came to me and she was just like, you want to do this project? I have this idea. And I just went, yes. Yeah, I, <laughs> called, I called you from my coffee shop and I was like, oh, I need Greg. Greg, I need Greg. And I called you and I just didn't even get halfway through explaining the, the pitch. And Greg was like, yeah, I'll do it. And I was like, uh, oh, okay, okay, great, <laughs> cool. Yeah, so that's how yeah. this started. Say yes now, figure out how to do it later. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. We are doing it. We are figuring we it are. out. And how long, how long ago was that? Um, we met, what, I guess two years ago now? Almost? Oh, yeah. That was... Or a, oh, a year ago. A year and a half ago. A year and a half ago, yeah, yes. Yeah, a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I called you in, I guess, April? April? April. April, yeah. April. Yeah. yeah, in April. Uh, when I, April right, right when I got back from London. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that is... Yeah. Um, and then I have, did, I met, can you? Sure. Well, I mean, I got involved through Mac. Yeah. Oh, no, so I was trying to, I was trying to make the connections, like, how do I know everybody? I'll connect. Production. Kenya and I. Okay. Um, <laughs> I will segue. Uh, Kenya and I went to school together. Um, we were in the same acting class at Northwestern University. Um, shout out to David Catlin. Come shout to the show. David. Um, <laughs> David Catlin. Uh, yeah. And, um, yeah, Kenya's one of my closest friends. Um, and she's very smart and also a writer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, um, Mac was reaching out to everybody, like, be a part of this project and I was like I would follow you anywhere like this sounds awesome <laughs> and um, <laughs> this I was um, helping with auditions and then I was like oh wait there's this thing that might be happening so I don't want to audition for your play and then have to like bail on you um, can I do something less um, that needs less time like actually in the room can I be your dramaturg and she was like sure yeah of course I feel like that happened like 10 minutes before you were supposed to audition. It did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, should I say something? Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay, I gotta do it. Ah. <laughs> yeah. As folks studied in um, theater, I'm interested in uh, your, an actual good explanation of what a dramaturg is meant to do, because it's opera folks, it's just like, well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> well. Well. It's, um. You, basically, I've been describing to people as like kind of the encyclopedia for cool. a rehearsal process. Like you're supposed to know about um, 
the show, like history of the show, about the playwright, um, any concepts that the director is interested in exploring. It's kind of like you do your own research and then you're like, is there anything else you want me to look up? Because, you know, and people are like, mm, I don't know. And they're like, actually this. And you're like, great. And you just spend a bunch of time reading and learning about things, which I love to do, mm-hmm. like even in, I realized that I do this a lot in my personal life. <laughs> I was listening to the Color Purple soundtrack and I was like, I'm going to go reread this book because I want to know everything about it before it comes back. Um, but yeah, you basically, um, also if it's different for um, plays that are already established versus plays that are new. Mm. Um, so like with a new play, you'll work a lot with the playwright and be like, hey, maybe this doesn't work or hey, this actually doesn't make sense with the place, time, and setting that you put your play in. You should cut it out. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but with, the old, with this play in particular, in terms of the script, um, it's very long. Yeah. <laughs> so, I worked a lot with um, cutting it, also making, um, taking anything out that didn't seem relevant to the conversation that we were trying to present. Right. Um, because this play is about... Um, a woman entrenched in her faith and her religion, um, but we weren't really trying to steer towards the religion aspect of St. Joan. Um, We were trying to figure out how that concept translates over into um, the modern world, into more of a corporate person with a message trying to convey it rather than person um, endowed by God with a message from God and from these things trying to spread it. Um, So cutting out anything that didn't exactly feed into that. Um, Also just anything that's residual from a play that's written in the 1920s right. <laughs> that right. doesn't need to be there anymore. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of what I've been doing. Yeah. Cool. So, so how much of the play did you end up cutting out? Um, actually, you know, not a, some. Um, <laughs> so if you copy and paste this call into... Us be like, what did you do? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, if you copy and paste this into a Word document, it's 81 pages. I cut out about 10 of those. Okay. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Which, like, it's an 81-page play that reads at about three and a half hours. So 10 pages is probably, like, an hour or so. How terrible uh, maybe not an hour or so. would a play based on those 10 pages be? It wouldn't be bad. It wouldn't be bad. It would be long. It would be long. There'd be a lot of stuff that people would be like, why am I listening to this? Um, <laughs> there's one scene that, because um, Shaw is very much about, like, He, like, he double and triple talks himself also in each yes. line. He He's very prescriptive. <laughs> Let me see how many ways I can say this really interesting fact. Mm-hmm. Yes. He likes to, um, and he mentions this in the preface, that he feels like shows need to be more about debate. It's actually funny when this play was first done. Um, the producers were like, this play is too long, the buses are going to stop running, people aren't going to be able to get back home. And he was like, don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so, they can hire a car. Yeah, it's like, they'll be fine. Um, but he's like, people need to sit and listen to people talk about things that are important and like have these oratorical debates. And so a lot of that leads to triple saying what you've already said and it's like this is redundant we all need to go here again um so it wouldn't be a terrible play with those 10 pages left in but because obviously it's a classic for a reason um but it would be a lot harder to grasp on to (laughs) would move a little bit slower Mm -hmm. i just thought about how like 
with Shaw writing it for like all of these men who are speaking. You know, you said the other day, Kenya, that you were like, oh, it's so nice to just listen to women talk about war strategy. It's just very refreshing. And I feel like Shaw was like, I have all these thoughts and I can listen to like these men talk and talk about them. And it's like, when the when our women are speaking and saying these lines over and over and like all of our female all of our all of our actors were like god i'm saying the same thing over and over and over <laughs> and it's like i feel like if a woman had written this play like we just we, we know what we want to say and we say it once and we know how to say it and i find it funny that like all of our females were just like all of our females all of our women were like um well high school high school um the females um, were all like, why am I just repeating myself mm. over and over again? Yeah, yeah. And, I, yeah. It's, yeah. that's yeah. a uniquely male thing. Yeah, because women are a lot like you, you. Generally, only have that one shot. Right. <laughs> Don't yeah. say it. Yeah. That one shot is not gonna get. Yeah. I think that's an interesting thing that. Um, Do you think it's I interesting learned. or fascinating? Or intriguing. I don't know. One of them. Here's uh, the thing about it, though, is that um, we have been thinking a lot in the last year about what, like, when you're working with. So one of the things we do is we do this thing called Hearing in Color, where we try to present programs of different cultures, and it's really important to us that we do the like we don't do anything, and that it's it's an exercise in artistic license, you know, and giving artistic license. We don't do anything a, as in we don't give any input artistically. We right, provide right, right. the infrastructure, but we we tap people whose... And art- fund where we can. And, yeah, right. we tap people whose artistic vision we, we respect and right. say, do this thing. We'll but, be here for help. Yeah, but so there's an, it's an interesting thing, though, to me, is the idea of there's been a couple times where there's a, an interesting conversation of, like, certain folks that aren't used to having artistic license and that kind of like finding trying to find ways to instill faith in the like I, I don't know do you know what I mean by like where I know that for um, we specifically did a concert over the summer where we had all black singers sing all black composed works and it was a, a there was like a couple conversations that that were just like well, what is it that you want to make sure that we do? Like, how radical is this allowed to be? That kind of, and I was like, it, I, th- this is not the conversation. I do not want to be the gatekeeper of of that. Like, that's not like I like. I literally just want to see this promoted in any way that it potentially can be. So I'm kind of interested with a work like this in fi- trying to figure out ways that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious, especially in that, in what you were talking about, of the idea of the of folks that making decisions and, and doing things that necessarily aren't used to it. And, and you, I don't remember if this was on mic or, or not when you were talking about the idea of seeing that energy in a room of people that are just interested in creating for their own space for the sake of creating in their own space. Yes, yeah, that you was know. mic'd. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in on this one. Um... I'm, I'm thinking about uh, a quote that I heard uh, yes, well we heard for like uh, yesterday by uh, Audrey Lord is like you cannot use the master's tools to dismantle the master's house um, and I just love that quote because it's like and I think it kind of uh, connecting with your story on uh, on uh, what you and Maureen do to create this space and then don't want to be uh, don't want any uh, don't want to be the individuals that are 
navigating or controlling the space. And right. I think, and I think for me, like that's the same thing. And I, I, I think that reinforces why I'm not coming into the room because any, I feel like any input that I put into that room is coming from my lived experience and it diverts from the story that needs to be told by mm-hmm. women. Like that is what's going on um, in that room. And so being able to acknowledge that and then literally like being able to, to step completely away and just completely give agency to those individuals that are telling their story, mm-hmm. um, I think for me it's kind of like the best way to go about it. And obviously, you know, I'm not beyond reproach. I obviously like I, I will be part of the conversation if needed, but that is at that moment not that is not where I am I need to be utilized specifically for uh, for this process. Um, so yeah. Well, it's super interesting. I'm sorry. Just because I, I want to say one thing, which is, like, the parallel of the, like, specifically during the summer, like, the Hetty Weiss issue that's been happening a lot and, like, that idea of, like, um, institutionalized institutions. I want to stop talking. I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> um, I will say that it's, at that point, it kind of becomes a task to stop policing yourself. Um, like, uh, very early on in the rehearsal process, we had a conversation about how we're going to address each other in terms of pronouns in this play. Like, are we still going to say gentlemen and lord? Are we going to say, um, like, ladies and lady? Um, and with something that just still kind of blows my mind is that there are so many different ways that men are addressed in this play. There's, like, sir, my lord, like, mm-hmm. um, just king, everything. Um, but in looking for replacements for those things, there aren't a lot of feminine replacements for those words. For, like, like positions of power. power. Yes. Yeah. And it's, like, like for, like, an earl or a duke. Or like, you can't say duchess because that's just, like... It's a dog name. <laughs> it's a fluffy dog's name. It's a fluffy dog's name. It fits but in a purse. It, yeah, like, it's just you... Because um, those pronouns have certain connotations like mm-hmm. it kind of takes all of the power at that t- out of that title once you translate it into like a feminine aspect because those are only invented so that we knew how to address people's wives um and then some like for the bishop like there literally is no feminine equivalent because it's like a position but you when you hear bishop you think man um because like when you hear religious women you think men you don't think or priestess you don't think like a priest or a bishop or a cardinal well, um, also because the catholic church doesn't allow women doesn't allow <laughs> that's so it's like, like yeah they're like no, no place for them yeah that's <laughs> um so in kind of we had this conversation where we we're like oh like are people gonna listen if they just think it's a world where it's only women existing like does that just completely de- delegitimize everything that we're doing if we just place this in the context of like um, men don't exist in this world and that's why women are in power here um, but kind of having to be like no like we should be able to listen to women addressing women as women and not as these um, masculine titles um, we should be able to hear someone call a woman ma'am and not think uh she's old and weak and feeble um, so that was a really interesting conversation like women being out. worried about that happening. yes yeah. <laughs> we were like <laughs> so then how so then ultimately how did you how did you move past the the issue of, of addressing is everyone just ma'am or oh well, um we i i went through the script and i looked at um anywhere where that was an issue because sometimes it works like sometimes an earl is an earl because like that is a position or a bishop is a bishop because that is a position um we changed 
a lot of the like like my lords to my ladies um like sirs to mans or madams um and just anywhere where a character is addressed in the show um then that has changed but anywhere where it's talking about a character outside of the play um like there's a lot of people that are mentioned that aren't on this play which like sir john talbot who was one of the generals that joan fought um they get to keep their assigned gender in this world but um we've reassigned the pronouns for anyone who's actually physically in this play i think it's really cool that because you know in in the world of gender bending there is always that issue of you know first of all you know what is what is the purpose of doing this like what are we what is the message we're trying to send and then also how like how can we justify taking you know not justify but like you know how do we frame this and you know what is the purpose um i think you can say justify yeah i think that's fine yeah and so i think that like having the discussion of like why is it all women and then like it's that's such it's to me it's so interesting like okay is this a situation where there just are no men and like the fact that it would be such an anomaly that it would just be a room full of women Mm -hmm. is an interesting idea to me and i'm i'm glad ultimately that you chose like no there are men it's just all women fuck it yeah 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 because yeah because essentially like it's not a um it's not a matter of uh in order for women to have space all the men need to be gone it's just like those individuals can coexist in the same space it's like but are you leaving agency for everybody in that room mm. to be able to to take up space to be there um and i love the fact that the, the men were left in there um that's that was I, that did not i did not say that the way i wanted to i'm really glad you said it that thank way. you for keeping the man in there well, well but it ultimately, <laughs> right. it ultimately sends a stronger message because yeah. the men like men still exist but the women are there despite the men yeah they're still able to thrive in this exactly. environment yeah, yeah they don't like men don't need to completely be uh it doesn't need to be this world where like men don't exist in order for women to take over it's like women are already taking over women already run i mean this is one of the reasons we're having like a panel um uh two panels for our show it's like women are running like chicago theater you know like you think you're ann shapiro you heidi still oh sorry ann shapiro like at um at steppenwolf uh anna, anna heidi stillwell at looking glass um, Kirsten Fitzgerald at Red Orchid, uh, you know Tara at Rivendell. Like these are all, these are all very reputable theaters here in Chicago that are all that are being led by women. You know, Megan Carney just became the artistic director of About Face. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like this conversation and the fact that I'm actually my mind is still boggled by the fact that I am. This is the first time that I've heard of in, in of a show or I mean attempting to put together a panel just to illuminate the fact like you you do realize who's running this these this theater scene right you do understand like who are these people the pe- these individuals who are in a position of power um and why I, I find that interesting that that's not being championed um enough like that's not something that is like readily spoken um spoken about so one of the earlier I'm speaking to the part about it being women who do so much for Chicago theater, one of the earlier um, bits of press about our show and in a lot of like the blurbs, um, we talk about how this play talks about one in the, the ways in which women can hinder others and how they cannot lift up other voices um, and how they can forget to do that. Um, but also it's 
outside of the story of the play, what we're doing with it, just the cast that we have is a celebration of the backbone of Chicago theater. Um, and I think that like women being the backbone of Chicago theater makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and like, yeah. So I think having 15 women on stage, um, from so many different backgrounds and of so many different ages, like we have, we're, yeah, it's, it's really incredible to have in the room, all of those voices and being able to work with it. So, yeah. Um, my other curiosity is, uh, I know that one of the things that y'all are doing a lot of is um, panels, and, and it's cool to hear that you're doing more. Um, I'm kind of curious what the uh, like impetus behind that is, and, and what the idea of um, workshopping, maybe, that's not the right word, like talking through the issues, and, and, and uh, yeah, what that kind of lends to the process. Um, my, uh, my initial thought, which continues to uh, evolve, uh, my initial thought was, we need to, um, being that we're putting this in the corporate, uh, this corporate backdrop, um, it's like looking at the individuals who are these gatekeepers, who are these individuals who are in this position of, uh, in this position of authority. I don't, yeah, in position of, position of authority. But, and how, because it's, because it's a little odd, because like, I don't necessarily want to be, um, because I'll, like, I'll just say this now, like, a lot of the women are, are white identified, like, white cisgendered, uh, white cisgendered women, you know, so I'm, like, I don't want to, like, I'm not trying to, like, put this panel together and be, like, look, it is all white women that are running, uh, you know, Chicago theater, but, like, illuminating the fact, like, I don't think these individuals, um, are, I think, I believe these individuals are utilizing their platforms to bring more people in. Um, I love, I mean, granted, I've only been in Chicago for five years, but I love the stories um, that are making their ways on the stage, and I don't think it's coincidence that these women are uh, are in the positions that they are, and the byproduct of that is the stories that are being told. Um, and so essentially, I just wanted to move like move the conversation uh, forward. I'm not the one leading uh, the talk back. It's actually, I'm hoping it's going to be um, our, through our partnership with Chicago Inclusion Project. So yes, once more, a man will not be leading a thing. Um, <laughs> I, I like I like saying that as much as I can, um, <laughs> um, but just like yeah, uh, how are you using once now that you're like you have this platform? What are you utilizing this platform um, for? And have that have that conversation and to be able to speak for themselves as opposed to us, you know, being you know us being in this position and like kind of watching them and assuming that they're doing X, Y, and Z. It's like why why were you interested in being in this position? Why? Uh, how are you bringing stories and how are you challenging um, a construct that was created without you in mind? Mm. Like, how do you survive in that world without letting some of those, uh, some of those constructs, that toxic, um, that toxic behavior that individuals believe needs to be part of like a corporate world? Because although this is art, you know, and when it comes to these theater institutions, it's like art meets business. So mm. you got to have some business acumen in mm. there. Um, so like, how do you, how do you find that balance and how do you, continue to not internalize a lot of those things that you know society tells you you have to be you have to do in order to uh ascend to a position of power and how are you utilizing that platform to continue a conversation that includes uh more people and more stories that don't usually find their way into these spaces in these institutions 
Awesome. Well, um, we have a few minutes left. So one of the last things we do with all of our guests is a one-minute plug for anything they have upcoming. So that's a one-minute plug for each of you. Obviously, you don't have to all take the one minute if you don't want to, but you're welcome to. Um, sometimes that's very obvious, like an upcoming production. Uh, other times, it can be shout-outs for people that you think are doing dope work in the city. Um, and also it can be self-care things like books, TV shows, uh, movies, any, music. Any media that you're consuming yeah. that you'd like to pass along as a recommendation. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I'll go first. Um, yeah, I'll go first. So our play, St. Joan, is happening and we're opening in a couple weeks. We open less than a couple weeks, actually. Uh, we open October 6th for previews. Official opening is the 8th, and we run through the 29th. Tickets start at $12 and then go up to 15 You can get them at the Greenhouse website uh, or Greenhouse Theater. And, yeah, we run Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 7.30 and 2.30 on the weekends, and we would love to see you guys there. Yeah. I'm very excited about that. This is Tiffany speaking. Um... I cannot say the next thing that's happening after St. Joan. Uh, we'll talk about how excited I am about St. Joan, really enjoying this process um, and, you know, just finding it. It's been a joy for me. Um, uh, because the cast has not been announced for the next show that I'm doing, I can't say that publicly yet. Um, but if you'd like to follow me on social media, <laughs> I'll post it there. It's Tiffany Renee J underscore. Um, I listened to a jazz album today uh, that I really liked. Can't remember the artist's name, but his album is called "Yesterday You Said Tomorrow." It's a young black jazz musician, and he wrote a song for his wife called Isadora, and I thought it was great. Um, so listen to it. That's what I did for self care this morning. Um, over to you, Kenya. <laughs> um, again, come see Saint John. It's gonna be amazing. Um, I guess. Self-care. Um, I'm rereading the Harry Potter books. Nice. Because yes. I love them. I do that like once a year. I'm totally right it's there like, with you. Yeah. It's time. It's time. You know? <laughs> and just that. like, uh, I just, uh, it's just, uh, it's so good. Um, um, I'm also reading Color Purple. Read books by black women because they're amazing. Um, uh, I just finished rewatching New Girl, so that was super fun. Um, <laughs> what the hell? Are you like, why are you like, <laughs> Watch TV, go on watch, listen to music, love yourself. Goodbye. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, what, self, well, I'm going to jump self-care and then promotion. Uh, self-care. I have not been watching the NFL this year, which has been rather tough for what? me. Um, yeah, I just uh, gave up all the things, the fantasy football, the all of it. And it's not, it's not simply because of Kaepernick. It is Kaepernick and the CTE and mm. the abuse of women. It's just like... You know, uh, it's a toxic system. It's it's such a toxic <laughs> system, and I've always known that, and I've always been able to just like watch it and bypass it. But it's reached a point where I can't do that anymore. So I'm actually utilizing those times on Sundays to either uh, commit to a social justice uh, cause uh, or work on a book that I need to just finish and just put out there. Um, I would say, please come watch. Yeah, please come um, come join in on the conversation with uh, with Saint Joan that starts October sixth and runs into the 29th. And please look out, the, we're putting together the panel. We decided that we're going to split the panel into two because it's, it's very funny how you ask people, hey, um, do you want to have the opportunity to have agency and talk about your institution and you and what it is that you do at your institution being a female leading person? They're like, 
Yes. Um, so all 10 people that I've asked to be part of this board from all these institutions that I spoke about earlier are all said yes to being on this panel, uh, including uh, Still Pending and Shapiro. Um, but um, to look out for the panel, it will be on October 4th. No, there'll be two. One on October 14th, which is um, our, after our opening weekend, and then on October 21st. And we'll be splitting five and five on the panel. And uh, we are looking to do the panel between our matinee show and our night show. So it'll be uh, an hour-long discussion that will hopefully be led by um, most likely M. Joy Devino of the Chicago Inclusion Project. And we'll be having a discussion with these women. So. Uh, October 14th and October 21st. Look for those panels. More uh, more information will be out via the St. Joan page through Poetic Forum Collective. Go like Poetic Forum Collective mm. so you can keep up with all the things about St. Joan and please... We'll tag that on the episode, yeah. Come in support. Oh, oh okay. My job here is done. Also, <laughs> no, please, yeah, sorry. Also, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, follow no. the St. Joan Facebook page yes. and yes. Instagram page. That would be St. Joan All Femme. F-E-M-M-E. Please note that the hashtag Saint Joan AF refers to Saint Joan Alfem and Saint Joan as fuck. You learn something new every day. Nice. Cool. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Dan Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there are a lot of ways that you can do that. You can head over to scopymag.com. That is our website. Uh, we post articles all the time. Um, also, we're always generally looking for writers. If anyone's interesting in, interested in, uh, if you have objective journalism experience or want some, let me know. I, I'm down to uh, work with people for that. Uh, otherwise, you can also see all of our podcast episodes on the website as well as all of our YouTube videos under the studio sessions, all of our scoffy sessions and studios. Um, you can also find us on the in all the social media places on Facebook, that's Scoffy Magazine, on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Play, and iTunes Podcasts. We are under Scoffy Mag and we spell that S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G. And as always, I'm here to emphasize the importance of donations. We run on a shoestring budget. Everything that we've been able to do up to this point has been through your generosity. So first of all, thank you so much. Second of all, we could use a little bit more help. Uh, if you head to our website, scopymag.com, go to our About section. If you're in a position to give, there are a couple ways that you can do so. You can do a one-time donation. If you choose to do that, you will have our eternal gratitude. Uh, if you choose to give on a monthly level, some cool things will happen. Our next two donors at any level are going to get a shout-out on the show and will get a bag of half-wit coffee, which is phenomenal. Uh, anyone giving at $10 a month or more um, will get a free session of studio photography by Daniel in our apartment. We're actually capable of doing some nice stuff. Mainly headshots. So if you need like a headshot in a hurry, yeah, that's we, the thing. We'll, we set up like a shower curtain screen and just do kind of headshots with dope lighting. It sounds so much better than it is. Um, so or no, 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 reverse. It is so much better than it sounds. <laughs> and at <laughs> and at twenty five dollars a month, um, you are um, eligible for advertising space on our website. Um, we get. A good amount of website traffic and so it ends up being cheaper than Facebook advertising so $25 a month cheap advertising so give a little give a lot and if you can't give then listen participate and share cool thanks again so much for listening go out and make something <laughs>